Hi, we're in a new episode of the History and Politics podcast, and we have a great guest. We have Yaran uh, Dolt, who is a co-host of the Corner Spady podcast, and we are going to talk uh, a lot about uh, different topics. So, hi, Yaran. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing out there in podcast land? Yeah, I, I mean, um, so how do you, you came to left politics and how you came to 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 be interested in an email and things like that because uh, I discovered Corner Spady, which is a podcast about European politics. Funny enough, because of, of one of your Twitter threads about like <laughs> the relationship of the Japanese Communist Party and anime, which I I found it fascinating. Yeah. So okay. Uh, my my left wing origin story. Um, hmm, okay. I guess I guess the. Hmm. If you want to say the, the kind of jokey but somewhat real answer is the movie The Matrix. Uh, <laughs> I, I watched that when I was like 11 years old. And simply, like, I don't know if anyone remembers the first Matrix, but the first Matrix, the closing track of the soundtrack was Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine. And then I started listening to Rage Against the Machine. And the... I think it's their second album. Anyway, Evil Empire, which is an album by uh, Rage Against the Machine, comes with a reading list of basically a lot of like radical left politics books, like some theory, mostly interpretations of histories and accounts of things like Spanish Civil War, um, a lot of Third World stuff in there, like kind of like Maoist history books. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I uh, that's how I started. That's how I became like an insufferable teenager um, to uh, eventually grow up to be an insufferable adult. Uh, and then uh, anime happened also probably at a very similar time. Um, although no, I, like okay, a lot of people my age, I think the the first anime that really kicked it off was. Um, was Pokemon. I think that was like the, the, the first anime that a lot of people my age recognize as being anime. Although because I'm from Ireland, which is a little different to like the rest of the English speaking world. Um, we got a lot of those like TV shows that were like, they were like Japanese produced cartoons that were like made and written by like French studios. Um, so things like, Cities of Gold, which is a, a, a very weird take on like Columbus going to the New World, and Ulysses was that Ulysses three three was the same studio, but like uh, that kind of stuff was in my household. I just didn't really know that it was anime. I think Pokemon is the first thing that I that I encountered that was that I was aware was anime and was different and kind of cool. Yeah, I mean the. I guess in some ways I, I, I was, I mean, I was born in the 90s here in Peru, hmm. uh, but I I was like always left-wing because my interest in rock, although I have found with, with time that there are very strains of, of rock music that are quite reactionary in many ways, hmm. but um, but the, I guess that it was also like more or less the same time I, I was discovering anime, as you mentioned, Pokemon and Dragon Ball were huge. They were mm-hmm. for a while uh, actually broadcast in like in the regular television. Like Digimon, for some reason, was broadcasted in 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 cable, but other animes were 
uh, broadcasting in, in regular television. I mean, for a while, even Evangelion was broadcasting in regular television here in Peru. And as, I, mm -hmm. as far as I know, like Dragon Ball like was broadcasted basically in the whole Latin America uh, uh, in regular television and, and in a lot of countries, I think Pokemon also. So it was very curious. So I think it's, it's very curious why Latin America anime has become, at least in some countries, relatively mainstream. Because in the 90s, like, there was a very huge economic crisis in whole Latin America. Mm. So uh, it's, it, with very few exceptions, which was Argentina, which was, uh, I mean, they, they didn't, like, they kind of did uh, economic tricks to, to try to, to make parity with dollars. So in Technically, that was the decade of the boom. So hmm. in some ways, like uh, anime culture in Argentina has developed differently because it came as, as slightly later. Um, and the funny thing is that Locomotion, which was um, at, uh, an anime channel, uh, it wasn't an anime channel per se, but it was a, a channel and, and, you know, in, 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 uh, in cable in Latin America that, that, a lot of anime, so uh, you know, Evangelion, um, also Koi Bebop, and things like that. Uh, yeah. It was like uh, it was uh, based. I mean, for a moment, it was based in Argentina. For other moment, it was based in, in Miami. But at, at both points, it had a lot of uh, of Argentinian people working there. And, and at the same time, in Argentina, since that was their economic boom, like for example, rock culture was very big in the nineties in Argentina. And, and it kind of, it, that overlapped. So I guess that that being said, like, um, yeah, Peru is, is very curious in, in the way that how anime was, became mainstream because in the nineties, like, uh, there was a store in, in, uh, in, which now is called the Latin American Akihabara, which is, uh, which is Galerias uh, Arenales, which I, I will, in English will be Arenales Gallery, which mm. is basically was a normal mall. So it was an old mall, but it was kind of normal. And there was just one store that they bring basically like, uh, um, how to put it? Um, uh, I basically like, uh, not counterfeiting uh, per se, but they d kind of do fan dubbings, sub dubbings of, you know, they put subtitles because obviously in Peru almost nobody is, speaks Japanese beyond the, the small Japanese community. Uh, so in in that sense, like they somehow like contacted someone who could uh, put the subtitles. So they they, they, started, they were the first to, to, to put subtitles, I think into Evangelion in Spanish um, and and also other, you know, like more less known, like, like anime. And, and the issue was that other, so they sell, like the focus of them was kind of like uh, of making subs. Like, so uh, putting DVDs with subtitles of different kind of animes. But they also sell clothes, and 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 people like like the in the neighboring stores saw that they were selling a lot of, of t-shirts. So they started doing the the, the same t-shirts basically. But since the cost of, of of making the subtitles was so high, they end up you know breaking. And but the stores next door just became just selling kind of anime stuff, and and then it grew. So it was at, at one point it was just one store. 
another point was just uh, one floor, and now it's basically the four floors of the of the of the entire like mall, and it's pretty crazy because I, as far as I know, in Latin America there is not not something like that, and I think probably not even in the U.S. or Canada, which make a, a very kind of peculiar place, and and I mean. It's mostly, I mean, I mean it, it has Marvel, DC stuff, also K-pop stuff, but it's mostly anime, and it's uh, it's curious. I, in a way that, for example, like, in Peru, like, there were otaku conventions before, like, the Comic-Con. So the Comic-Con is much more recent here in, in Peru, but the otaku conventions are, are kind of, uh, have a, a much uh, longer, um, older origin than, than that. So, it, I think that's a very curious kind of development. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I think in the kind of like kind of online story of how anime penetrated the the West, and by the West I mean like places that aren't Japan, I guess. Um, the 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 story that we're often kind of told is one that is very like Amerocentric. Like the American story of how anime kind of penetrated was. Uh, for America was like, okay, so the movie Akira kind of like was popular amongst college students, namely like college film students in the States. And there would be like screenings on college campuses and things like that. Um, And then there was this like rush in the early nineties when like, I think it was like something like cable channels in the United States really blew up and they were all just scrambling for programming, especially for kids so they started dubbing all this Japanese stuff. And that's like where you get like the American story. But for for Europe, um, the story is much, much older, uh, mainly because Europe was way more used to than, was made more accustomed to like importing foreign media than the American audience was. I think there's like a really depressing sentence to be said in like, anime is the only foreign media that Americans engage with, which is like really depressing to think about if you think about it for too long. Uh, but like for Europe, it's always been far more normal. Like, okay, most of the things you watch on television, especially during like seventies, eighties and nineties were produced by neighboring countries. And then they were just like translated, dubbed or subbed uh, because West Germany, France, uh, Ireland, Italy basically did not have the money or institutions in place to like make all the media they needed to take up the entire like broadcast day. Uh, that was just not feasible. And like all local channels and national channels had to be focused on specifically German situation. Like they had to make sure that they made the news and that they made the weather and things that were like useful for the general German population. So they didn't have time to all be making their own cartoons. Unlike the United States, which was a media empire, and then the rest of the English speaking world could just buy what the Americans made um, if they didn't make their own, along with their own stuff. But like, I think Ireland and was in a particular situation because, or even Europe, because I think unlike South America, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, unlike Latin America, we don't have, there's very few Japanese communities within um, Europe. I think notably you have like a Japanese population in Paris because there's like a long cultural love affair between France and Japan. 
um, that's very historic. And then you have the Dusseldorf community in Japan, or in sorry, in Germany, of Japanese people who um, I think that's because like Mitsubishi is based there, like their European headquarters are based there, and because of that, like anime, like I know. I know manga in particular was huge in France, like years and years and years before, um, like anime had really come into the mainstream and a lot of other countries. Um, but France also has a pretty robust comics industry of themselves, like Tintin, Asterix and Obelisk, things like that. And some other things I'm probably not remembering, but, um, Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, I think that uh, like Latin America, a lot of the reason why it accepted so so many animes, and and I think the difference, for example, when people compare like the animes that were shown in 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 Latin America versus the animes that were shown in um, in the U.S. is that here basically there's not much much censorship so i think of pokemon they only cut the 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 episode of the polygon episode which was the one that that caused like um i think uh in in japan caused massive epilepsy problems because like it was too light yeah that so, one that one was never translated into english um yeah the Jinx episode was pulled because of they realized Jinx was like a racist caricature. And the uh, Tauros episode of Pokemon was pulled because uh, one of the characters pointed a gun at Ash. And that apparently is not okay for American television. Yeah, I think the 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 episodes with violence were were broadcast here because mm-hmm. like that, that's the issue. Like Latin America, it it it, it was particular in the nineties. It was much more violent in some ways. Like uh, I mean, uh, particularly in Colombia, like the FARC were like the, taking over, and and in Peru, it's true that the Shining Path, like at the middle of the nineties, like Shining Path, and you know, like uh, the revolutionary movement to Pacamaru yeah. were already fading, but still like it was uh like the the violence in the region and you know in the eighties it was like with the what was called the dirty war in, in, in the Salerco in Argentina in uh so I mean it obviously had a, a very violent legacy. So in, in that way like I don't think the the, the, the translations and the, the the kind of censoring that there was in you know in in the U.S. was the same. Uh, in the U.S., it was much more censored. Like a lot of of the, uh, it, there was more censorship. So in some ways, like the here, like it was uh, like very light the censorship. So I mean, there have been pulled some episodes, but in general, like and I think some of the series actually have broadcast more or less completely. So I guess that is a really interesting kind of development that was you know here and the japanese community is i mean i'm thinking that this is small in peru compared to the chinese community because peru has one million and a half people of chinese descent, which i think people outside of uh, mm-hmm. peru are always surprised but uh, but i think it's a little bit more than than in neighboring countries like like bolivia or chile or ecuador but peru had a, had a- president of Japanese descent, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Fujimori was a president of Japanese descent. And and funny enough, like in the in the nineties, like the public television in Peru started uh, passing like Japanese legends. So uh, a, a show of puppets telling the Japanese legends. It was very weird. Um, like I yeah. think in most in most European countries, there like there is no Japanese community. There's Japanese people and they exist as like families or like individuals across like parts of Germany, parts of France, Spain, Ireland, the UK, but there is no community unlike, um, again, like Dusseldorf in Germany has like a Japanese cultural center. Um, but like, and then there's some like Japanese language schools in Paris, I believe for like Japanese people, but it's it's not a community in the same way that like Indian people in the UK is a community or Turkish people in Berlin is a community. Uh, yeah, you know I mean, I mean. yeah, I understand. In Brazil, I mean, there is a significant uh, like yeah. uh, Japanese community there, and I mean, there there was a singer of the of a band which was called which uh, indie rock band called Can Say This or Sexy. She was of Japanese descent. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, they, I think anime culture also is big there and, and I mean, but in Brazil, everything is bigger because like there is a lot of people, so their <laughs> cultures are, are big. So they yeah. have a big party culture. Like they, they are very, um, yeah, it's, 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 a it's a very particular country. Um, but I was going to talk about the, 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 the relationship with, about, you know, anime and, 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 you know, in some ways more broadly, like geek or pop culture with, 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 with the laugh and radical politics. And uh, now that I'm remembering, I remember like my, my cousin is, is, is from here, like uh, in Lima, Peru, uh, and he studied in the National University of Engineering, which is kind of the, a, a version of the MIT as some sort. So it's basically engineering and hard science. But um, there was kind of, uh, you know, a protest about corruption. And it was uh, like 10 or 12 uh, years ago. And it was, uh, I think, the time where, you know, it was uh, premiering the, uh, a film. Uh, I don't know what, which of the Spider-Man films, but for some reason, like, the people started to put in this, uh, the Spider-Man mask in the protest, mm. so there are photos of people with the Spider-Man mask, and and yeah, it it was very serious. Like, I think that the, then, like, it, internet wasn't like as big as now with Twitter, with you know, like like Facebook was, but it's still in the beginnings, and and yeah, but it was very like curious, and and I I mentioned to you uh, the other day that you know like of the developments in Chile, like in the last year, there have been protests against basically the, the government and the neoliberal policies there. And, and that protest has been like very, um, you know, um, how to say, I, I mean, it were very colorful because they, they started actually by, you know, high school girls that refused to, to, to pay the metro. So, uh, and, and people started like jumping, uh, you know, like not, not paying the, the, the metro. And, mm. and and then like the protests started, then it started the repression. But but 
the which in 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 English would be called the anti-fascist otaku brigade the starting marching. So they were basically like uh, anime fans who, who were um, and more generally pop culture fans who were um, protesting against like this kind of neoliberal uh, austerity that, that is imposed in Chile. And they were like had you know some were cosplaying you know of, of you know from Sailor Moon to to, there was a a, a, a woman, um, a middle-aged woman called uh, Tia Pikachu, which I, I guess in English will be Aunt Pikachu. Uh, and it was a woman there as Pikachu. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there were a lot of, of characters. Someone dressed as a dinosaur. Uh, someone dressed as an alien because, like, the uh, the wife of the of the president said that, you know, like the protesters are aliens. So, so <laughs> there, there started being a, a guy dressed as, as an alien. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it was pretty colorful. There was a, uh, a guy dressed as Spider-Man, like, you know, like a, an other kind of characters, you know, like pop culture or, or mm. there are people that didn't have like, were cosplaying, but they have like, you know, slogans with, with, with like, uh, uh, you know, reference to an email. So I, I remember there there was a, uh, a slogan with the reference to Evangelion that said, "This is the third impact." And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was it was really inspiring. And you know, despite that it was kind of violent at the beginning, you know, the police at the end, like it 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 it, it, it kind of understood that it couldn't be that violent because, like, it, they were in the news, particularly in Latin America, and. And, they, and since Chile also has like regional ambitions of, of kind of leaderships in some way, like it, it, it saw that the, 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 you know, like the first days, you know, there were a lot of people injured, you know, even people killed in the protest. So they kind of understood that, you know, like this, this protest that were becoming much more ma- massive at one point. I mean, in Santiago, in one of the protests at one point, there was 1 million people on the streets. So it was literally the largest march in the history of Chile. So it it kind of become something like bigger than than what people were expecting. Like, like it's true that that protest not, not obviously everyone was a was a um, an anime fan or, or a fan of of pop or mm-hmm. culture, but but they were kind of a, a part of, of something that became bigger, and that was really kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that, that is kind of like. I, I think it speaks to um, kind of a, a use of culture um, when, like, confronting in some kind of protests. I know, I know, like, one thing that constantly figures, like, comes up in particularly Irish uh, political protest would be The Simpsons. Um, I, I, I think, well, not anime itself, but like Simpsons paid this weird kind of cultural force within Ireland that it's very easy to, um, it's very easy for Irish people to relate their kind of like problems and their issues and the things that are happening around them that are bad back to like something that happened in The Simpsons. And we'll use things that happen in The Simpsons to explain weird cultural moments and political moments in Ireland because, uh, I think a good example of like what I know most like Americans who want to understand Irish politics do, they will, they will follow the Twitter account, Irish Simpsons fans or Ireland Simpsons fans, sorry, which is um, basically just po- like posts screenshots and quotes from the Simpsons, but uses it as a means to explain um, 
uses it as a way to explain what is happening in Ireland, whether it's like a cultural event or a political one. Um, that's probably the closest thing I can think of as, as to relate to what you're talking about. But like this kind of stuff appears in protests and yeah. Yeah, I was talking to to a Peruvian, but that is based in, in the in the U.S. the other day, and actually was talking also about about this, like, and and I was saying that, for example, in in Chile, like there are a lot of left wing parties, like, but mm. they didn't start the protest and they didn't lead the protest, and it was kind of this, you know, the anti fascist otaku brigade, like, kind of <laughs> become the star of several days of the protest, uh, and it's very curious because, like. I think it, you know, in some ways, in, in many parts of the world is that, you know, like parties don't longer have this kind of a, a position of leadership in, 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 the, in the social movements. Mm. And it has become in some ways relegated. And it's, it's, it, it's a very kind of, um, of moment that, that there is like, uh, I think uh, A.M. Gleditz, which is the, the author of uh, Abogam Bosadism, like the other day he was interviewed and, and he was saying that the, the, the curious thing about the protests in last year was that there were a lot of protests and sometimes the, the teams were similar, but in some ways were very disconnected. And, and I think that's very true. I mean, um, there were different protests, even here in Latin America. So there were protests in, in Bolivia and Chile and were very different. And, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to try to think how how to connect the and and it's it's going to be a a very complex uh, process to to try to reconnect the left in some ways. Mm. I mean, yeah, there's there's a there's a similar thing in I can say for certain that there is a similar thing in Ireland where I mean, at one point it's it's died down at that moment, but at one point in Ireland there were like a lot of parties on the left or a lot of people on the left because Ireland also has like a a very strong thing of like independent candidates. Um, but the but this was the, the the kind of thing of like they started to be seen as somewhat useless or um, not leading any kind of popular protest or popular movements like. Um, repeal the eighth, uh, the kind of like anything to do with like uh, housing situations in Ireland. All these things were not led by any particular party. And yeah, um, yeah, I, I think it's something that is, is something that the, a lot of left-wing parties have failed to like uh, kind of um, monopolize on or like grab on. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I can hear you now. So you were talking about like there are in Ireland there are a lot of parties. Yeah, sorry, I was just saying that within Ireland there are like a lot of these left wing parties that uh, have in the past failed to seize on these popular protests and these uh, large moments because Ireland has had a lot of like popular protests uh, within the last maybe five ten years around key issues like gay marriage, housing, abortion, uh, and immigrant rights. But the uh, parties have kind of, the party, some parties respond appropriately, but they're always kind of, like you said, they don't look like they're taking any kind of leadership role. Um, they know how to like, they support the movements, but they, they don't really do anything. And I think I've seen, 
that improve in Ireland of like maybe a more uh, aware and mobilized and concentrated left wing movement within Ireland? But that's only really based on like one election and uh, we'll have to see what happens in the next election, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, Irish politics is, is, is something like here in Latin America, we we understand even less. I think the, the, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> Of all the the European politics, I, I guess in, in I mean Baltic politics even less. But of of Ireland, I don't remember like any news on the have any you know any time. And I'm in my twenties now, but you know like in years of, of reading the news, I I don't remember even people mention Ireland. So it's 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 like it's like very weird. Like um, yeah, we we don't have we don't have a huge amount of global impact. <laughs> I should yeah. say. Um, is there anything like worthwhile or decent that happened in Ireland? Probably not that I can think of. Um, we have a pretty good voting system. I think that's about it, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really curious because I, I was thinking like, uh, you know, the, uh, in the Cornish Patey, like podcast, you, you have been talking about how <laughs> European politics are very weird. Mm. And but in some sense, I mean, it's it's very curious. But in some sense, I think European politics are much more common between each other than in Latin America, because in Latin America, like it, despite a, you know a lot of the of the countries speak uh, Spanish, and that uh, Portuguese is relatively intelligible with Spanish, mm. um, and it's it's basically like complete separate wars. So. Um, like, uh, and there are you know countries that are even weirder than the, the that to me is very difficult to explain. So, for example, Paraguay, like they literally nominated like the 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 left wing president for a while was a priest. So yeah, it was yeah. Very, very strange in many ways, like yeah. uh, a kind of convergence of different kind of coalitions. But I see that in some sense, like particular because of the European Union, like in some ways there has been kind of a convergence in 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 Europe to some degree, uh, and and that's interesting because like there are some kind of blocks, political blocks, and I remember I was to to a certain degree interested in uh, at one point in in the, the rise of the Pirate Party because they sounded like they were trying to do something different, but but uh, I I guess I didn't. I think it, in, in Germany it has fell, but it, it has fell like pretty badly. I think the the, the chair of the party killed some people. Like it's it's yeah. it's a wild story. Like yeah, the the uh, the pirate party is um, oh geez, that was a hot moment. Um, yeah, the pirate party kind of like uh, like twisted into like two different things, I guess. Um, any pirates that are still around today are either like, I, I would say realize that their politics weren't super different from like anyone in a, a left libertarian space, kind of like a, a libertarian Marxist or uh, anarchist, almost like anarchist leaning kind of perspectives. So many of them kind of like either all the reasonable ones kind of either got joined the like the left party that was in the european country or um maybe joined the greens and either fell into that like death cult or uh, the other option would be they became like right-wing libertarians like you have in the states and then it, they just kind of like went away because 
right-wing libertarian thought in, in Europe is is it doesn't really like track all that much like it, does, it never really has much political success uh, I think the only place where there's still like a successful pirate party is the Czech Republic and the leader of the Czech pirate party is like the ultimate stereotype of what you imagine a pirate party leader to be he he looks like the ghost character from Matrix Revolutions he's like a a white guy with dreads it's it's very it's very strange um so that i that i love but like yeah the pirate pirate politics is like dead and uh has either been like moved on to a movement i i basically i, I think the problem with pirate politics in general was they they didn't really offer anything uh that, that wasn't already being covered by the political space they were just kind of they were just like technically more literate versions of like left-wing politicians or green politicians um so that's as soon as those like left-wing politicians or green politicians kind of like became aware of what was going on on the internet they all kind of like became irrelevant or useless yeah i mean now that you mentioned about green politicians like green politics is a a wild trip in many ways (laughs) like i mean like I have been hearing like these stories about the, the 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 pedophilia in the in the in the German Green Party at some point. Like they were promoting pedophilia, even openly. Uh, yeah, I'm not the person to talk about that. Uh, I'm not sure if I know too much about the stories there, but in, in, in general, the, the the Green the Green Party of Germany. What I can say without getting into any kind of trouble uh, would be that. Uh, the ideology they kind of put forward is not really left wing. Um, they've managed to, I think, I think this is the kind of like green party con in a lot of countries, but they've managed to convince people that they are left wing. Um, so like, because people like people believe the thing that um, a lot of people believe what parties say of themselves. Um, like if someone Oh, you know, someone says, oh, I'm not right wing. I'm like a classical liberal, that kind of like weird American thing that Americans say, some Americans say. Like some people really fall for that, the the self-description stuff. And the Greens have always been positioned to the left of like the SPD, but to the right of like Die Linke, like the left, the German left, Um, which is kind of insane uh, and some Germans don't fall for it. Uh, the first thing I heard of the German Greens when I moved to um, uh, when I moved to Germany was um, their the FTP, like Multernung FTP, I think was the term. It's like the, the centrist party that sorts its rubbish. That's like the only thing different about them is that they do sort their rubbish. Um, I think their only big thing is that they want to like they're still talking about carbon taxes, like a a system for like greening the economy, which has kind of been proven not to work because large corporations will just pay the fees to keep polluting and it doesn't really yeah. And then um they really go on about electric cars, which aren't necessarily super great for the environment because to make enough electric cars to like replace all existing cars, you would basically have to like, I don't know, strip mine the entire Congo. Like it, it, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, go on. 
Yeah, I mean, about electric cars. So basically, like, a lot of electric cars use this battery, like lithium. And lithium is, yes. is produced in, uh, here uh-huh. in, in South America, in particularly in the Andean region. Yeah. So in northern Argentina, in northern uh, Chile, in southern Bolivia, and there have been, like, now foundings in, in southern Peru because, but because of the lockdown now I don't know how much the the, the the extraction is going to struck, but but I think it was going to start in about two years. But now I don't know. Like some people say that that, and that's going to be a weird thing because like mm. uh, I hear that you know like Elon Musk is is going to Argentina, and now it's a left wing government. But I don't know. But it will depend in a lot of ways of Europe because, as far as I know, like countries like Norway. Like they have been implemented like like the quote unquote green cards because of the subsidies, but yeah. um, I guess in some ways like it's going to be like a very, I mean in some ways uh, the future of, of of electric cars depends on Europe because I don't think the U.S. particularly now with the crisis is going to do do the kind of subsidies that that the year is going to do it's it's very difficult to know what's what's kind of the future so in that sense i I think that um it's going to be curious what greens are going to propose because if that was their huge deal um now it's going to look very complex because how to do it without subsidies yeah Um, I think that I think speaking Europe wide, um, the Greens are kind of all over the place. There is still because the Greens have managed to convince everyone that they are left wing, or yeah, that they're sufficiently left wing. Let's put it that way. Um, there, there is a good deal of uh, what would you say, like uh, lower level politicians, like entry level politicians, uh, as well as like political supporters who are like sufficiently radical. I'm thinking of like, in Ireland, you have Saoirse McHugh, who's like, who was campaigning in a very rural area about like turning Ireland into a series of self-sufficient communes, uh, where like, you know, there, she literally quoted the, the, the communist maxim of, um, to everyone according to their uh, to everyone according to their need from everyone according to their means like that the forgotten the exact phrasing of it now but the um and then like there's some french greens that are quite good um but like yeah the the german greens which is like the most powerful green party let's let's put it that way because they're they're quickly in the polls they're quickly kind of becoming germany's main opposition to angela merkel and they're, you know, the Green Party of the largest European economy, um, but they're massively friendly towards German auto industry. And it's kind of more like electric cars, but only when Volkswagen's ready kind of thing. It's not like um, they, they must maintain Volkswagen as like a, a feasible business. There is no like discussion of personally what I think needs to happen, which is we maybe get rid of most cars, if not all of them, and like reserve it for like ambulances, some sort of communal taxi system, rather than everyone having like one and a half cars to themselves, kind of thing, which is seems to be what they're talking about. Except the cars are now electric. Yeah, I don't know, but like the 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 coup that happened in Bolivia was basically over the price of lithium, right? Yeah, I mean, it was various different things. I think it, mm. it, it there is uh, 
a huge deal about like uh, more than lithium. I think it's because of regionalism. So in, in Bolivia, mm. there is um, a, a city that in, in, in like Bolivia, like journalists think as an Andean country. And in many ways it, it's true. Mm. Uh, you know, it's uh, like uh, at one point, like uh, Potosí has a great importance there. So it's a mine. It was a silver mine. Mm. At one point, it, it produces sixty percent of the of the silver of the world. So it was. Yeah. It, it's a legendary city, and and I think the there there are people that are suggesting that 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 HBO should do a historical series about that, and I think it's it will be interesting. It, it's it has certainly wild stories and. And the issues is very curious and, and complex, but um, so most of Bolivia is true, it's in the Andes, La Paz, Cochabamba, but hmm. there is kind of a tropical part in, in Bolivia, and that tropical part is like Santa Cruz and and and, and Tarija. And, hmm. and Santa Cruz, uh, it's a curious city. Like, I, I mean, some historians argue that, that because they speak a very kind of particular uh, accent of, of Spanish, so some historians have argued that that, that reason that we speak uh, a very particular kind of, of, of Spanish is because they, it was founded by crypto Jews. So, so the, the 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 Spanish Jews that were recently converted to 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 to, to Catholicism, so oh, right. they their own language was Ladino was a, a mix of Spanish and, mm. and so they speak uh, a little bit different. So and it's not just their, you know, their, their, the, you know, their accents, but the issue that, you know, since it's, it's one of the few places in Bolivia which morals of the year, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's their sun basically there. So in other parts of Bolivia, like it's raining and snowing like crazy. So a lot of the European immigrants that that came to to Bolivia end up moving there. So. Uh, they are German immigrants. Uh, they are, you know, like Italian immigrants, Spanish mm-hmm. immigrants. Um, there are some other uh, small communities. I mean, the Okinawans were basically pushed by the U.S. when they uh, created the base in Okinawa and tried yeah. to put. Uh, and there is a small also Lebanese community. But also, it's it's it, the issue in 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 Santa Cruz is that also there were some Nazi refugees. In, in, in Santa Cruz and and yeah, I mean, uh, in pop culture, there 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 have been like some tell about the interest of, of, of Nazis for Bolivia because like it seems that the Nazis thought that Tiahuanaco was built by which is in, in in the Bolivian side of the Lake Titicaca that was built by by the by the Atlanteans. We were kind of a a, a proto the, the proto white race or something like that and 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 mm-hmm. and there is a there was always the idea of the search of Paititi and some people think Paititi is near Santa Cruz and, and actually Santa Cruz is the place where the, the legend started so the there was a priest that that brought the story so but in, in that sense I think that in some ways like it, Santa Cruz has been always linked with them very kind of radical right wing uh, politics so in, in some sense like it was. They were obviously all against like Evo, which represented kind of uh, an indigenous socialism, uh, and 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 so in, in that sense, like uh, the white, but even the mestizo population in 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 Santa Cruz and in and even other parts of Bolivia were kind of the opposition to to Evo Morales, and and they like uh, used the the excuse of of the 
of, of the irregularities in the elections to to basically do a coup d'état. But yeah, yeah it's it's it, it was crazy. Yeah, it's just uh, my memory of like when that coup happened, or one of the things that was talked about quite heavily here was um, by here I mean like English speaking world um, was the stock prices of like Tesla uh, started becoming more and more valuable. Um, and the reason for that was because people were like, oh, a, a source of lithium has been secured for US companies was was the idea, I believe, of behind that stock increase. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's dark stuff. It, it's interesting you, you bring up um, Ladino um, because I am very much fascinated with Ladino um, as a as a language um, or more. More so, I'm, I'm fascinated with Yiddish, which is basically the German equivalent. Um, I do uh, behind the like behind the paywall on the Patreon for Cornish Beatty, I do like solo episodes based around like language and like the uh, socio political uh, aspects of language. Um, I did one episode so far on Esperanto and why it was like associated with communists, but the I do want to do an episode on like Yiddish because the idea of like a, a wholly separate language um, branching off from like German, a, a relatively modern German um, being spoken by exclusively by like a, a community and then being written in like a completely different alphabet because Yiddish is spoken in or written in Hebrew, the Hebrew alphabet, but it is a Germanic language. It's like, mutually intelligible German. It has like grammar much closer to that of English than German. Um it's it's wonderful. Like I I I'm absolutely loving that stuff. And I'm sorry, I'm, just, I'm reading up about Ladino right now. I did not realize Ladino was still spoken. Uh, I thought no. Ladino was extinct. It's it's uh, yeah it's spoken but no longer in Latin America. Like yeah, people have yeah. For good, but uh, yeah, no, no. That you mentioned uh, to 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 finish with with Bolivia, but they continue mm. to, to the Latino thing. So uh, yeah, the the interesting thing about like Bolivian lithium is that it's very difficult to extract because it's much higher than 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 the lithium in, in countries like Chile or Argentina. So mm. the, the 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 lithium is very close to the Salar of Uni. So it it's uh, this touristical destination people who. We'll see, you know, basically it's kind of a, 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 a looks like a, a, a sand beach, but in the middle of of, of, uh, of the land. So it's it's kind of an infinite of, of, of it's a very kind of touristic destination, but also it was shot, it was used by to 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 shot some scenes in Star Wars. <laughs> um, yeah. And now that you mentioned like Yiddish, in, in Argentina there is a much more significant Jewish community. Um, mm. and actually there are like the, the Jewish community there, um, uh, is important. One of the women that, that fought with, with, um, with Che Guevara and uh, with it was killed in the, you know, like in, in the attempt of, of, of doing a revolution in Bolivia actually was an Argentinian, uh, Jew of German descent. Uh, mm. so the family was from Germany. They came to. Argentina and and I was like yeah I mean the, in in Argentina like um there there is a like a saying yeah like at one point in in Argentina 
uh, a Jew in, in the 40s or 50s in Argentina was either a, a communist, an anarchist, or a sex worker. <laughs> and it's kind of a very kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a while. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's very related with, with kind of radical politics there. Um, mm. There's, there is a, a, a great history as well. Uh, one that doesn't get spoken um, about to a great extent. It's one I, I do want to read more about, but there is like a, a history of like uh, the radical, like Yiddish speaking population of what we would now call, I guess, Eastern Europe. But I think back then was like Central Europe, like of Poland, Czech Republic, Romania, Ukraine and stuff, the, the this radical population of people who had basically like every system had effectively failed them, um, like, you know, like excommunicated from like Habsburg in Spain, like treated like absolute shit in France and Germany and like only scraping by in Eastern Europe and then like being kind of like brutalized under the like Russian czar and stuff like that as well. Like the, these were, these are people who, these are people who had to like, um, it, you can understand why they turn to like radical left politics because everything else has basically turned them out, has, has like spit them out, have destroyed them. So they're, they, they, they came for something else, but there is a, there's a good history as well of radical like Yiddish music as well. Uh, which I, I strongly recommend. Um, also, the, the I think there's maybe this is speaking more to Argentina a little bit, but there is this I think tendency, especially in the English speaking world, to um, not rewrite history necessarily, but like put a lot of focus on they put a lot of focus on North America as this like historic land of opportunity. But there were there were a large population. There was a lot of people who moved to Latin America and South America as like a land, quote unquote, a land of opportunity as well. Because there's a one thing that I always, always get to surprise people with. It's like one of those like fun little party facts is um, Patagonian Welsh. There is the population of Welsh speakers in um, southern Argentina. Uh, I can't remember the exact number of them, uh, but they. They're quite distinct. Like the Patagonian Welsh is also like, yeah, like a, a distinct dialect of Welsh now. Um, what is the speaking? Yeah, there's about five thousand speakers of uh, Patagonian Welsh in in Chubut. Uh, Chubut. Yeah, that's what I was. Chubut Valley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they uh, can't. I don't know. They're or they moved in the 1870s. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Argentina, like uh, Uruguay and southern Brazil, and to a less degree, Chile had a lot of, of European immigration. Mm. Uh, also, Mexico, um, uh, Hungary, uh, like uh, there are Hungarians in, in Venezuela, like uh, they're, mm. they're having like a, a significant Hungarian population there for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure completely, but... Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 I mean a lot of people immigrated like uh, uh in Peru there it's not that big but the Italian community was very successful for example. Uh 
Um, you know, like, um, I mean, in like a lot of the business, uh, large business are now owned by, by families of Italian descent. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, 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 yeah, Europeans immigrated like basically in all countries of, of, of Latin America to, yeah. to some degree in, in countries like Argentina, Uruguay, much more, but yeah, they, they, they end up in basically every country. Um, there yeah, is something I, that I always wanted to do, which was um, I found it recently, or not recently, but like a couple of years ago, that there's a, a population of Lebanese people in Mexico that make Lebanese Mexican food, which is a which is a food I want to eat. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, in Mexico is curious because now now that we are, are speaking about Ladino, I think probably Mexico is the only place where Ladino is still spoken because they had like Syrian Jews coming from from, mm, from Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting. Like uh yeah, I mean, language is. I was, I was thinking like uh, the other day. I was talking with someone and thinking, what's the the political aspect of language? And and I think it it it, it it's it's in some ways like cool come people together and in some ways cool uh, tear them apart. But mm-hmm. I was thinking when you were mentioning about Yiddish about the story of Yankee Mayor Salkin. So he was an anarchist rabbi. He. He was mm-hmm. born in Eastern Europe, but he was based on, on, on the UK and he was anti-war. He was, curiously enough, an Orthodox Jew. So mm-hmm. it, it, it seems like he was anti-war, um, you know, like a very, you know, staunchly like anarchist, you know. And, and he believed like in Israel, like his, his belief in Israel was that Israel should be like... Um, like a place of, of refuge, but not just of, of Jews, but all people... Um, persecuted in any part of the war and it was a really interesting like kind of a thinker that that i think it's very outside like uh, uh the mainstream discussion you know it's 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 mm. out of like a, out of, of everything i was wondering now um what's the relationship with the with religious communities and the left in in europe oh um nowhere Hmm. nowhere near as like interesting as it once was i would say um yeah i i think the the prevailing thought that is left over is you know one that's kind of been forged uh, in through time would be so you have like the remnant thought with the ussr that like all religion is counter-revolutionary to a certain extent and that still prevails especially when you're on this side of the berlin wall or the former berlin wall and if you're on the left and that as a kind of position by people on the left has i don't know it it causes a lot of conflict because i think people have recognized that something that can be um utilized by reactionary forces like I, i think it's quite common within uh, quote unquote Eastern Europe, the 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 parts of Europe that were under like a Soviet sphere of influence uh, historically up until like the night the early nineties, they will often like reactionary forces within them that are now in power um, kind of would argue like oh they're coming for your religion they won't let you believe in God and that kind of works to drive a lot of people away. I think. The other position that you'll find, namely more in Western Europe, is uh, a position that's like, 
they don't see it as in any way kind of relevant anymore. Um, especially Northern Europe will often feel that like when these ideas about religion and its power over society was written in a very different time when uh, religion had a lot of power in society, but they think it has less now. Um, I've heard people kind of like say those thoughts and then like Spaniards would actually be very aggressive being like, no, religion must be destroyed. It's like <laughs> controlling our society and it's, it's, it's dividing the working class. And the, the role of religion in, in the left is nearly non-existent, I would say, um, within Europe. Uh, I, yeah, there's definitely no, there's like, in Ireland, I can think of some figures who would be like religious and on the left, but I don't think they've thought about those two things too much, if you know what I mean. They're like, in Ireland, you have a lot of what's called culturally Catholic, which are people who like act Catholic, but don't believe in God. It's a, it's a strange thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think I was wondering, like, but what's the relationship with the immigrants? Because sometimes, like, immigrants mm. uh, uh, from Latin America or from uh, from the Middle East that are, you know, in Latin America that are generally Catholic or, or Protestant or from the Middle East that are generally Muslim or, you know, from South mm. Asia that sometimes are, are Hindu or, or Buddhist, you know, and, and, or and so how is the relationship there? Because like there in some countries, like immigration has grew uh, exponentially in the last year. So uh, as long as they going to become, I mean, I know that, that in different countries, maybe that could be different, but to what degree, like the left-wing parties are trying to, to appeal to them and, and, and to what degree they are kind of successful? Yeah, I think I think that's the difficult thing because I think that's why a lot of people in like Europe and probably like I, I've heard I've heard this kind of like uh, opinion in like the U.S. like North America of um, why like an anti-religion position is not necessarily good. That they'll often use the tactical argument of we need to reach out and help and like recruit and bring into the movement like the the refugee population for example from like say the syrian civil war or like sub-saharan africa which can be a relatively religious population and that's generally why you have like a lot of europeans who on the left who would be like religion is extraneous religion does not matter to this we need to talk about people's material conditions you know these are people who are like um, scared, abused, they will not turn to any authorities. The authorities they do turn to will treat them like shit. So it's kind of a, it, it's, it's, there's a section of the left in Europe that doesn't want to bring up religion. It, there's no, there's no tactical use in vilifying religion. Um, and that's kind of at loggerheads with people who come from like the Eastern European tradition, the, um, the one that does say like religion is a problem, religion does need to be vilified. And that kind of conflict between those two forces, particularly in Germany, because Germany's left or any kind of organized left within Germany is kind of like a mix of this West German left, which was which is a bit more like less dogmatic, more uh, responsive and you know 
a views itself as like a movement that can like uh fit different molds and like change with the times but then there's a they have to also work with the east german left which is a bit more rigid and uh you know we were doing something that worked and we just have to keep doing that and they're a bit more oh stalinist (laughs) is is, is sometimes a part of the problem uh there's a there's a good deal of like stalinists still left in east germany um who would be a bit more like dogmatic about the religion question and in general I, i i think the the response by the european left is to just not bring up religion um because it will divide them as the left yeah, now that you mentioned this, I was wondering what what does Podemos does because in 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 Spain obviously it's a country where religion has played a, a, you know an important role in its history. I mean, mm. the, the justification of the Spanish imperialism was basically to promote uh, Catholicism. So, mm. in, in, to what degree they are. Uh, critical of, of, of Catholicism or, or their iron or, or uh, more broadly, what what does Podemos tries to do now? Like I, I honestly don't don't know that much about them. Yeah, I, there's there's a great deal about like Podemos that like first of all, I, I I'm personally of the opinion that Podemos is like one of those better parties within Europe. Um, that would probably be my uh, that be my opinion. Mainly from a lot of the things they've done, like on a on like a ground level, like the extra parla- um, parliamentary stuff they've done, extra parliamentary, like things they've done as a movement. They they were always very insistent when they founded that they were a movement, not a party. Um, I think in general, um, if I'm remembering my if I'm remembering my uh, Podemos correctly. They also do not talk a, a great deal about um, religion. Uh, they they kind of avoid it uh, to a, to a certain extent. But again, it, it's it's purely because from their perspective, they don't think it's relevant. Um, I think this is uh, in stark contrast with. Um, was Esqueda Unida, which was the um, the kind of left wing party that was there before Podemos. Uh, Podemos started in 2014, and Esqueda Unida was like Esqueda Unida basically existed since the fall of Franco, um, and Esqueda Unida was a bit more gung ho that religion needed to go. But Podemos, I think, from a largely like tactical position. Um, basically said that like they don't talk about religion. They talk about people's like they talk about the poverty. They talk about people's like conditions. I think they just they don't. Uh, I think they're very similar to what Syriza did, which is they don't really talk about religion. They don't put religion into their platform in any way. But it's worth pointing out that the like they make the they make it very clear that the main figures. Um, are atheists um for example alexis cypris was is is pretty publicly an atheist and i, and I believe uh, so is uh pablo agasius uh tron i think they they're both uh yeah they're both kind of like uh and atheists but they they 
I think when questioned on it, they basically just go, there are more important things to talk about. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I mean, it's, I, I say that I don't know that much about Podemos, but to be fair, like, for some reason, like, Latin American media has covered. Well, I mean, there, there are different reasons, but, uh, but generally, generally, uh, Spanish uh, Latin American media has covered much more of uh, Spanish politics because obviously the language is much more easy to. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to translate the, the articles. So, um, mm. but the the issue that was interesting is that Podemos got much more coverage than other parties, and but despite that, like it, they most of the articles talk about very big terms. Like it's not clear what ideologically Podemos stands now. It, I, I don't know if mm-hmm. at one point it even stands for something. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's like, there was, uh, there was kind of problems. Hang on. Just, just going back to the, before I answer that or talk to that, there's a, there was just one thing I was going to say that um, here's, here's a quote or here's like a position from Pablo Iglesias um, that I think threads the needle very well. Uh, he describes himself as not religious, but he says he finds himself agreeing with Pope Francis quite a bit. So Pope Francis being the current Pope who is, um, well, certainly compared to Benedict, is uh, probably a lot more of a, a humanist than uh, Benedict was. Um, so I don't think it's hard for like a left-wing politician to agree with like Pope Francis's general opinion that refugees should be treated well um so that's a that's a very like skirting the issue kind of line from pablo there because he's like i'm not religious but that guy you basically worship yeah i think he's kind of cool sometimes uh that's a that's a very tactically useful thing uh, within spain where like a lot of very fervently religious people would be like backing your opposition like backing like partido popular and stuff like that as for uh, Podemos's modern position, it's their main thing is, and their founding, like their raison d'etre, is uh, anti-austerity. Basically, they they came from the tradition of the um, Indignados, which I'm not sure how much coverage uh, the Indignados got over there. I mean, they, the Indignados got very little coverage from. Uh, English-speaking media in general, but the Indignados were um, the Indignados were like this uh, popular protest movement, uh, sometimes also referred to as "Take Back the Square." Um, they're a popular protest movement that happened just after two thousand and eight, uh, very similar to um, Occupy Wall Street, and. From that movement that basically was like a uh, radical democracy and anti-austerity movement is base- is where Pedemus comes from. Um, and that movement was really big. It was, if I remember it correctly, the Indignados managed to get like 8 million people out on the street, um, which is like 20% of the entire spopul- Spanish population. Um, which is a pretty big protest movement, especially in terms of Europe. Um, but yeah, their, their position has kind of like muddled over the years, especially since now like Podemos is a party that is backing the like PSOE, the 
socialist party of uh, España, which is not socialist in any way, but like the center left party of Spain, they back them now. And it's, it's gotten a little bit fuzzier. If you were to, if you were to point me out, uh, point, uh, pin me down to something, I would probably say radical social democracy. I would probably, what I would call Podemos, which is to say they believe in like social democracy. They believe in the like, almost like the post-war consensus of Europe, but they also believe in the original dream of social democrats, which was to get to socialism via electoralism, via reform. Um, I, I guess that's what you could describe it as, but like there's all sorts of different people within Podemos. There's like ardent communists and anarchists within Podemos. There's uh, well, I don't think I think the right wing of Podemos is effectively gone now because they split and created um, Mass Pais, uh, which is a party that's gotten a couple of seats. Um, but yeah, they were kind of the more uh, reformist wing of Podemos, and now they've effectively split. Yeah, now that you mention anarchists, I think it's curious, like the involvement of anarchists in, in, in electoral politics. And it seems that in Europe is not that strange. So uh, I remember like there was a talk about like Birgitta Jonsdottir of the of the Pirate Party in Iceland that could have become like the prime minister there. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 quite curious. And actually, I, I know uh, um, someone from Iceland, you know, he told me that once he heard that the that one of the of the ministers uh, was a member of the social democratic party once he called himself a prudionist so a, a fan of, of Proudhon, uh, I, I was oh, kind yeah. of confused like <laughs> how, how can 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 it it's it it will be kind of difficult to explain like because here in latin america like um, and uh, like anarchists and, and 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 parties are have a very kind of you know stark you know division, but it seems mm. in Europe it's not necessarily that that case. I think there is a no. I, I would say that's possibly the case in 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 most in most cases. Like the the anarchists within Germany are, for example, very very opposed to partaking in electoralism like there's a there's a there's a genuine debate amongst anarchists in germany of whether you should even vote um like as an anarchist in germany myself i come up with the opinion that you should vote because it doesn't really take that much time to do so um but like uh, just don't expect huge change from it um i think within podemos is like podemos and early syriza i should say and maybe Blockeschgeda in Portugal um, attract more of the like left libertarian space purely because of the extra parliamentary stuff that like Podemos and those kind of parties did or do. Um, like Podemos was very good initially, I believe, at like setting up alternative media spaces, like to to get their their message out there. They had their own like basically television station at one point. Um, they set up like spaces that gave food and uh, supplies to family in need. They helped uh, immigrants and refugees like acquire like Spanish lessons and uh, get all their paperwork sorted so they wouldn't be deported. Things like these. Like it's kind of like um, they had a lot of very like direct action stuff. Uh, Podemos did, and I think that's what attracted like more anarchist elements. 
Um, for someone in Iceland to be saying they're a Prodonist or whatever, the, the I don't know. There's people in the like PSOE or not the PSOE, uh, the the SPD, the center left party of uh, of Germany that say they're like Leninists or whatever, and it, it's sometimes they just say this to kind of be edgy, <laughs> grab like media attention, basically. Um, <laughs> And it works. Like I, like, I still, there's people who say, uh, people, people gave a lot of attention to like Bannon in the States, Steve Bannon, when he said he was a Leninist and they're like, okay, okay, whatever. But that's, that's fun. You learned a word. Uh, I don't know the situation of Iceland in particular, but like Iceland is also kind of interesting in terms of an anarchist history because they did have like an effective, like direct democracy, communalist government in like, in the feudal period and the feudal period in, in Iceland lasted until like the 1980s effectively. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like that, that country was like for a very, very long time, just like 30 people in a sheep farm. Um, but then they invented Eve online and financialized a lot of their capital. And now they're just like weird Nordic country. Um, but it, it, it's, I, I would say there, there's a there's a great deal of like anarchists um, who are very opposed to electoral politics in Europe for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I would I would say that's probably the case. Yeah, I was wondering uh, is is there you know any large left wing party in Eastern Europe? Eastern Europe. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, the left, the st- oh, the state of left wing politics in Eastern Europe is oh, it's hard to like. Okay, so it's very hard to like discuss Eastern Europe as a bloc because there is there is actually quite a lot of differences between the various countries. But I think the general thing you could say is no, um, probably not. Uh, we're starting to see. Poland develop a left again, which is probably pretty exciting. So like it's not even not even like center left parties uh, have done well in Eastern Europe, except for like maybe Schmer in Slovakia and like the PS in um, Romania. But those parties have managed to stay in power due to just like being obscenely corrupt um people like when uh, the the leader of the ps in romania was like when it was made illegal for him to like rule the country because of all the crimes he committed he basically just stayed on as leader of the party and elected a puppet uh to be the the prime minister of romania and once that person voted against what he wanted they suddenly were no longer like leader of the party anymore it, it was a it's a very strange situation but for like genuinely hopeful things in terms of left politics or left po- electoral politics, I should say, it's probably exclusively uh, Levica in Slovenia. Uh, although Yugoslav, ex-Yugoslav countries are very, very different to um, the rest uh, of what we would call Eastern Europe. Um, and Razem in Poland. Rezem in Poland is very exciting. Um, I, I, I like if I was in Poland and I could vote. That's that's who I'd be voting for. Um, beyond that, not so much. Although there is a great deal of like, there's a probably there's a great deal of left wing people 
within Eastern Europe, for sure. Um, especially Hungary and Poland are two that come to mind. Uh, and a little bit in Czech Republic. And the Czech Republic still has, like, uh, the Communist Party of Bohemia Moravia, which is what they call the Czech Republic. Um, they're still, like, relatively powerful. But um, I think most left-wing people within Eastern Europe, like a lot of people within Eastern Europe, are just completely disillusioned with electoral politics. Like, the turnout rates in some elections in, like, Slovakia, for example, is, like, notorious for having ridiculously low elections. They've had, like, elections that have had a turnout of, like, 11%. Um, so, like... Most left-wing people within these countries, like most people in these countries, are just completely disillusioned with politics. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also that happens here. Although I think mm. that sometimes, like you know, it in electoral years, like there is still like some kind of hope and things in change. I, um, I, I think for so I to kind of compare with Latin America a little bit. I, I think the the source of that disillusion is probably the exact, the exact same source. It's the, it's American empire, basically. Um, it like for a lot of Eastern Europe, especially in the nineties, they basically just saw their countries like sold to like criminals and petty thugs and like all their like institutions, like gutted, um, like anything that might've represented like the beginnings of, a somewhat robust social democracy in any of these countries, something like, you know, healthcare, roads, trains, they were all just sold to the highest, like highest bidder. And there was nothing they could vote for. Um, I mean, the CIA in Russia did like a lot of work to make sure that like Boris Yeltsin, I think it was, who was like elected um, in the nineties. So like, I think for most people who had their heads on straight, they kind of viewed their situation as like powerless effectively. There, there was nothing they can do. I, I, I genuinely think the people who don't believe in electoral politics in Eastern Europe are probably the more sane ones. Um, because I mean, for most East, for most Eastern European, like quote unquote, Eastern European countries, your choices are, are between like two very right wing parties. I mean, Polish politics is still like, uh, what's it? The Law and Justice Party versus, um, oh, I've forgotten their name now, but they have like a, they had, a, it was like a far right party versus a center right party is basically your option. Like the, the options in Estonia is like three or four free market centrist parties that like basically don't differ on anything politically. They like work together quite like frequently. There's, there is very little to believe in in terms of electoralism within Eastern Europe, for sure. So, yeah, yeah, it's it it it's the same here. I mean, in some ways, I, I will say that you know, Evo Morales in, in in Bolivia has changed a lot of things. So, for example, mm. in the long term, I don't think like there were in Ecuador like the changes were that that profound. You know, like mm. uh, like. The, the debt crisis that, that the world has is going to have a huge deal in, in you know, like, uh, 
in 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 the future of the country because like that was more or less uh, the the same problem that Argentina got mm. you know under a much more right wing government like the you know de la rua in in in, in the early 2000s but uh yeah i mean in some ways i think that there is a lot of dissolution here also in Latin america even with you know like and i i think there is more fragmentation here like because in mm. In Germany, like uh, I mean, the, the the two large left-wing parties, like uh, left to some degree, like the Social Democratic Party or Die mm. Linke, I mean, exists. But here, like there are a lo- there are two like large coalitions, and but that you know incorporates a lot of you know tendencies from you know like the communist parties the, the, mm. the ones that come from the Stalinist tradition from the from the more um, uh, Maoist tradition and, yes. you know, the social Democrats, you have Trotskys of different varieties. Uh, I mean, there, there is so, this so fragmented that, that, that the problem is that those coalitions are, have a lot of trouble working because like, mm. I think that it, it's interesting in some way you mentioned Podemos because it seems that despite their, that there are very different people there, it seems that it's much more uh, being able to to work together, uh, but here in Peru or, or even in Chile, like it's it's like they are you know they are coalitions, but between each other, like sometimes they attack each itself, like publicly. Mm. The only country where I think it's it's uh, it's more or less like uh, a functional left wing coalition is Uruguay. That's the only right. country you have from yeah. out to social democrats and. Uh, still, like they try to to reach an accord on some some key issues, and but with that, ex- uh, I think that's kind of the only example in Latin America of you know like of coalitions working more or less well. Yeah, I I, I think with the the I think sometimes it's like the circumstances in which these countries like uh, pop up for for example, like things tend to get a bit more united, especially at the party level within Germany because of their um their threshold rule like basically if you don't get above a certain threshold of votes you just don't get into parliament into the bundestag and that kind of like tends to result in like larger parties like there's a lot of parties that just won't run at a national level because they're just like they have absolutely no chance um there is like a more overtly right-wing like environmentalist party within Germany, um, the ecological party. And they just don't run for national elections because they know it's just a massive waste of money. They run for things where there isn't a threshold, like European elections or local elections. Um, As for Spain, though, Spain is an interesting one because Spanish politics is set up in such a way, like structurally set up in such a way that it's, um, it gives the appearance of unity um, literally unatus podemos but um, the way Spanish politics operates is like the way Spain operates in general is Spain is like a, a very decentralized country and you don't realize it until you like get there uh, the common thing about Spain is like it's it's a federation in all but name um, because like most of my family in Spain is in Andalusia, which is the, the the southern region. It's also the largest region. Um, it's got some famous cities like Malaga, Cordoba, and Seville and stuff like that. 
Um, but like the regionalism there in, in Spain is like really pronounced and they're really proud. They have these giant, giant, absolutely massive flags of the Andalusian flags, which is like green, white, and green. Um, and it's like something you just, you don't see in other countries. Like the, the, then of course you have like famously you have Catalonia and the Basque country and stuff like that. People know about that because they have like a linguistic tradition, but even in things like Andalusia, Extremadura, um Castilla y Leon, things like that. They're, they're a very decentralized country. And because of this, that's kind of also how the politics operates as well. Like Podemos, when you get down to like, if you were to walk into a ballot box uh, to vote in a Spanish election in somewhere in Spain, you probably wouldn't just see Podemos written anywhere. You would see like um United Together, Unidos Podemos, like Andalusian chapter, Equeo, like the, the, the actual way Podemos functions and like all the parties in Spain function is they're like these large federations of differing parties. And if you really, really get into the weeds of these things, there's a lot of these like little branches, like the, the Balearic Islands, uh, Podemos will like say some shit in the media about like the central leadership or whatever. It, it it gets it gets quite messy and less united the more you look at it. But they found a system that works for them. Um, it also works because like Podemos effectively has like no presence in like I believe like the Canary Islands and like the Basque countries. Um, so they had to work with like already established left wing forces that existed there. Um, similarly, like um, uh, Unida Esquerda, like United Left, the left wing party that existed ever since the fall of Franco, have basically stopped existing as a party and now exist more or less as like an organization that works with Podemos. Um, like they still have some elected uh, politicians, but whenever there's like a, a diagram of like the Spanish parliament, that person will be marked as like a Podemos politician, even though like he's not like a, car- a card carrying member of Podemos. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we could uh, end up by talking about uh, language policy and in, in in European politics. So, I have been hearing that you know, in 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 Europe, like for example, like uh, in particular in Germany, some politicians were complaining that many people were using English. So, I mean, could you say something about it? Well, like the the use of English within Europe. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there occasionally someone on Twitter in, in Berlin will complain about like the Berlin population of like, um, uh, English speakers who don't learn German and I will effectively laugh at them <laughs> because I, I am that person. Like I, I don't speak German confidently. I, I speak a little bit of it. Uh, I, I speak enough to like function in a restaurant or in a in a in a shop but um i i don't speak enough to function well in like government offices or anything like that um 
And then you have like a, an even further level of that is you have like the weird language protectionism that exists in like Germany, France and Spain, where they like try to limit the number of um, English language words that enter into the language and things like that. And yeah, in, in general, it's, it's a weird one and there's some like reactionary tendencies towards it, but I think the majority of people on the ground do not care about this. Um, they're more happy to like let English enter like their language because like I, per- I, I speak Irish, which is a minority language, even within Ireland. And I'm not from the community of people who speak it natively. There is like a, a portion of Ireland that speaks it natively, like as their first language. Uh, I speak it as a second language, but the there it's always interesting to hear like when you learn Irish as a second language and you learn it from teachers who've also learned it as a second language. They're very strict about making sure you don't use any Irish loan word or English loan words. Uh, but then when you actually meet um, native Irish speakers, they use English loan words all the time because they are not in any way actually threatened that they're going to lose their language. They're like using uh, English loan words, but they're still applying like Irish grammar to it and Irish sounds and turns of phrases and things like that. So yeah, I I think in general, it's not so much of an issue. And I think if anyone's out there listening, who's like really interested in linguistics and the fine details of linguistics, then I strongly recommend looking up Euro English because there is now a distinct dialect of English that is forming in, I think, particularly Brussels, um, because Brussels, where the European Union is kind of like headquartered, is this like huge community of like politicians and civil servants who all speak varying like languages, but then have to use English to, um, would have to use English to like communicate to one another um and because of that like the form of english they use is not like british english it's not like american english or australian english it's their own form of english where they've come up with new words and phrases um and anyone who's really interested in language that's like the really fun stuff that's where like you see all sorts of crazy shit and like yeah, that, that's the that's the kind of cool stuff I care. But like, yeah, there's like the weird academics in France and stuff who like really hate when people use um, English loan words. They also really hate when they when people use like French slang and stuff like that. And they're they're just they're snobs. They're basically just snobs um, because French slang is really cool. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I know a little bit of French, but I mean, maybe I will end up like telling my story of, of being a, a tourist in, in in Europe. So I have mm. traveled only to to France and 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 and, and Germany, so to Paris mm. and Berlin. And I was curious, like to to like a lot of people spoke like Spanish, and not only in museums and things like that. So sometimes I, I went to to. To a restaurant or a cafe, and 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 people ask me, "Are you from Latin America?" And I say, uh, 
yes, and they are speaking in Spanish. And they, some of them had a very fluent Spanish. It was kind of surprised. And and at one moment in 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 uh, in Paris, I was going to to buy you know some some souvenirs, and mm-hmm. uh, I, there was a woman that that seemed of East Asian descent. And mm. she like I I, I started tried to, to speak in 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 French, but my French wasn't that good. And she started moving to toward speaking in 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 English. And then she like I think she recognized that I was from Latin America, so she spoke in Spanish. But then her Spanish kind of stopped, and we go back into English, and that's how I <laughs> end the the, the transaction. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's curious. Like, I mean, it's uh, like there are much more. Um, it seems like in Europe, it's a place where there are much more like language learning than than in other parts. Because in Latin America, like the only place where there is a, a I think, a huge interest in language learning, really massively. Like it's Argentina and particular Buenos Aires. Because I, uh, uh, you mentioned like the immigration was was huge, so they had language academies from from the get go, and they have been a much more uh, recent development here in Latin America. But mm. yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, it's a kind of culture, strange cultural connections. So I think it was it has been great talking to you, Karen. So where can people find you online? Um, right. So you can find me personally at uh, at Kieran Dold on Twitter. I'm going to spell that because it's a very Irish name. Uh, at C I A R A N D O L D. The last name is actually uh, German, but uh, you know Europe. We're, it's crazy like that. <laughs> um, and then the podcast I do is called Corner Spatey. It's it's a kind of like left wing and comedic look at what's happening in Europe. Uh, you can find that at Corner Spatey, which has a German word in it. So if you don't know how to spell Spatey, because it's not only is it a German word, it's a very Berlin word. Um, you can find us at operationglad.io. Operationglad, G-L-A-D dot I-O. If you go to that website, you can find the podcast, all the links to where you can listen. No, yeah, I, I mean, I should mention, like, having hearing, like, listening the 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 podcast since since the lockdown started. This is really an interesting uh, to to hear so much stuff about Europe that uh, sadly, like, as I mentioned in the beginning, here in Latin America, we don't hear almost anything. So mm-hmm. it, it has been like a, a very interesting uh, learning experience. So. Uh, uh, thanks, Karen. It's it has been great talking to you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me on. <laughs>